0: Hello, and welcome to IBM Developer. I'm your host, Luke Schantz. In this episode, we're going to be speaking with Andy Mira from the open source earthquake early detection system. Hello, Andy. Thanks for being a guest on IBM Developer. Hi, Luke. Great to be here. Thank you very much. Andy, you chose to address earthquakes. Can you tell our listeners and our viewers why you chose to address this problem?
1: Sure, of course. Um, So earthquakes are something very personal to me. Uh, Right now I live in Mexico, and before I lived in Haiti for several years, starting in 2010. So I have uh, very vivid experiences of shaking, something I hadn't experienced before I lived in Haiti. And I had the misfortune, you would say, to go through two very significant earthquakes. And then after Haiti, in Mexico, I went through the 2017 earthquake, where just outside my window on my street, one building fell down and many were damaged. So it was a very personal challenge for me, and I felt that technology was the answer here, that earthquakes, mitigating the effects of earthquakes could best be done by having people as informed as possible.
0: So there's a lot to unpack here, and I'm I'm really looking forward to digging in this story. But the thing that I found most striking and I, I wanted to bring up right away is the fact that this is an ongoing open source project. So if there's folks living in uh, seismically vulnerable areas or they just have skills that they want to put to good use, this is a project that is actively being developed that they could get involved with. So let me ask you that. How can people get involved and what kind of input are you looking for?
1: Right. Great question. So actually, not everyone knows this, but almost a third of the world live in seismically active areas. So that's a lot. And a lot of these people aren't aware uh, that these technologies exist. Uh, By that, I mean early warnings for earthquakes so there's many ways people can get involved and I guess it depends on what your skill set is or what your interests are if you are sort of standard software developer you can uh, work with our algorithms and you can help us with detecting earthquakes we have various methods but we're always trying to improve on them if you are a hardware guy you can work on sensors which is what we, we deploy to detect or you can build your own sensors and deploy them wherever you might live. You know, if you're in Peru, Nepal, Ecuador, Puerto Rico, wherever you may be, you can deploy your own sensors. And finally, maybe you are a front-end developer. Maybe you like creating mobile apps. Um, well, in that case, you can create the the, the final client device uh, which people use to receive the alerts.
0: So I, I understand why you felt the need, right? You felt the Physical mortal danger of earthquakes and, and where you live, but how did you go from this idea and the impetus to do it to actually creating a project?
1: Right. So, so there, there was a bit of a there was a few steps. Uh, the very first step was that in Mexico, there's only you would only say that there's maybe two or three full earthquake early warnings. We call them EEWs in the world. Uh, by that I mean like national systems. Uh, and so Mexico turned out to be the first public alert system after the 85 earthquake, and the difficulty was that that system was only really being was only benefiting government buildings and some schools. And so uh, when I arrived in Mexico, I thought, well, more people should get access to the signal, which gives people a minute, sometimes two minutes, advance warning, depending on where the earthquake is. So the very first project really was just a little home project I did, where I created a box. Uh, I had a sort of radio in there which uh, listened to these signals and decoded them. And, you know, through a crowdfunding campaign in Mexico, I uh, got those into people's homes. That was the very first step. And then the second step was to understand how that signal was being generated in Mexico and that there was an opportunity to improve on it. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, adding more sensors uh, and, and maybe not the best quality sensors, these sort of IoT sensors you see behind me. Um, and just having density uh, would mean that we would have a faster response rate and actually more accurate. Um, so that was the next stage. And, you know, that's been an ongoing process for uh, for a while now, and those uh, sensors um, have proven themselves to be very, very effective. So uh, once we put these things together, uh, you know, the next stage really was just to create algorithms because nobody seemed very willing to share theirs with us. So... Uh, I got together with some scientists at uh, Mexico's UNAM University, um, and, uh, and we developed some quite basic algorithms for detecting accelerations that might be earthquakes and not moving trucks. Uh, and once we had that going, we just put it in the cloud and it worked. And the cloud was the final piece. You know, We're now moving to the IBM cloud, which, is, uh, which offers everything we need. And the idea there is that you, know, you can have an early warning system anywhere in the world um, and as long as you mimic the services that we've created and ideally improve on them as well, um, it will just
0: work. If I'm hearing this now, I'm a developer or an enthusiast and I want to participate, I want to get involved. Where should I go? What should I do?
1: Great. So everybody is uh, super, super welcome. Uh, and I think the, the first call would be to go to com And openew.com is the project website, the documentation website for the project, uh, OpenEW, which is all of the core technologies that Grillo has provided uh, now with other people's assistance as well, uh, including IBM, including Linux Foundation. These technologies now sit inside of their own repositories in GitHub, which are sort of very public, very open, and there's lots of uh, movement happening there. So we would uh, encourage people to go there and see what you're interested in. You know, if if you are an, an electrical engineer uh, in Japan, I think um, you know you might straight away go to the sensor repository, and you might say to yourself, "Oh, look, they're using an ESP32, uh, they're using this form of accelerometer, they're using an optional GPS module, but why aren't they using a cellular connection uh, for areas that are very rural, you know, or, or with poor local internet?" Uh, And then if you are a data scientist, you'll probably go to the detection repo and you would say, OK, they've got a node red option and they've got a Docker image. Uh, I think we should be incorporating this uh, this method using this type of model. Uh, So so it really depends on what people are interested in. But, you know, we're still working on the documentation. I think there's still a bit of work to do. But for now, there's there's quite a few things in there. And I would encourage people to have a look. and it really depends. I think you made a good point because uh, not everybody has felt an earthquake, uh, but we've all seen it in the news. So maybe you're not the guy installing the sensors. Maybe you're not the guy, you know, creating an array. Uh, uh, you know, ideally, we, we would love those people to to come on board, and you know, not just one, but ideally two, three, or four, because that's when you can start to triangulate uh, earthquakes. But you know, ideally, we have people who not just do the sensors, but help us with everything else because that stuff lives in the cloud. And as long as we have data coming from our networks, which uh, already we have in Puerto Rico with Pedro Cruz and in Mexico and in some in Chile, we have uh, a couple in Costa Rica. We've just sent some to New Zealand. And so this is growing slowly, but we could always have more in those areas and others. Um, But now the data lives in the cloud. Anybody can play with it.
0: So interesting. And I just to pull uh, one thread of what you said there, this decentralized low cost theme, which is parallels what we've seen happen with the cloud, right? You can have all different types of offerings and and really minimize, you don't have to have some, you know, bare metal dedicated server anymore, it could be, you know, serverless functions, VMs, all, all sorts of things. The other thing I was going to mention, and this is the second time I'm mentioning this in a podcast, it seems to be my my theme. But one of my favorite films ever is this Errol Morris documentary called Fast, Cheap and Out of Control. And what it's referencing, the, the title references a paper from uh, MIT researchers. And the idea was instead of making this, you know, 500 million dollar you know, behemoth that if something goes wrong, you've lost everything. Why don't you make $500, $1 million uh, nodes? And then you've got this sort of decentralized swarm model. And then maybe two weeks ago, I was interviewing um, Naim Maltaf, the IBM uh, space tech CTO. And he tells me that they're working on open source CubeSat swarming technology with this exact same mentality where it's like, hey, we're going to put up all of these small CubeSats, they're going to have a variety of sensors across them. And then the same way you build a cloud application where you say, hey, I need this, 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 this and this. It doesn't matter where it is. I'm just going to connect them. And this abstraction is now my device. Satellites can be called this way where you say, like, hey, I'm going to define the, the instrumentation that I need across these nodes. Anyway, so that was a little bit of a tangent, but I'm seeing this strong theme and it's amazing how powerful it is.
1: Yeah, you brought up some good ideas there. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, the comparison might be unfair towards SpaceX, but we do think of ourselves as as having a parallel there insofar as SpaceX uh, took what was a government project, uh, a very expensive government project, and optimized it for the application. Uh, You know, and I, I think we are doing in our in our own sort of small way a very similar uh, concept. Uh, and so uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity to take these these huge uh, monolithic projects and break them into little pieces. Uh, and of course, it, you know, the, the, the example you mentioned is a good one because if you have more um, devices uh, on a network, you have redundancy. And I think when you're talking about um, mission critical uh, issues, you need redundancy. If one fails, you need another one to take over the work. So it just felt very obvious to us that you, that a redundancy model would be much better. Um, and, um, and yeah, and cost is everything, you know, especially, you know, one thing that really mattered to us is where do earthquakes kill most people uh, or create most damage? Well, it's in the developing world because in the developing world, you have poor construction uh, and you have maybe weak emergency services, um, and so, you know, we had a magnitude, um, I forgot the number, but let's just say a magnitude 9 in Japan in 2011, just after the Haiti one, which was only a 7.2 or 3, depending on who you look at. And yet the Japanese one uh, had far fewer fatalities uh, because buildings are, uh, resist, uh, you know, they're, they're very well made. Whereas in, in Haiti, you have a sort of poor um, uh, Self constructed uh, housing built with, uh, you know, often they didn't use enough reinforcement bars or the cement mixture doesn't have enough cement in it, the concrete mixture. And so uh, those buildings are like to fall. So those countries that need these systems the most, uh, warning systems, can't afford it. Uh, so economy is everything if you're really going to help people. And um, getting the price down, redundant systems, uh, doing it in phases, maybe not doing the whole country at once, but starting with a city and alerting through, you know, nearby uh, earthquakes. Uh, that seemed to be our approach.
0: That's really interesting, and it, it the point you made about Japan. Um, I had heard this as well that there's very strict building and regulation codes, so things are being rebuilt every twenty or thirty years as the code changes, and they've got all this, like you're saying, you know, cable systems in the buildings to make them. Uh, and, and reinforced concrete and all kinds of—I'm uh, sure—foundation things that I don't know about. Uh, but what I what I think is so interesting about when you talk about the data is it also po- it, it it creates these pointers to other things, right? Like, hey, this happened here, and this happened here, and if we have that data, we can actually find these other root causes.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think I think um, yeah, we're already starting to see the the side benefits from this when Harvard University came on board. Um, because we've been publishing the data for a long time for free uh, using the uh, sort of open data platform, but we hadn't really known why we were doing it. It just felt like the right thing to do. It felt like we have data. Other people might have more value in this than we have. We're just using the data really in real time as it happens. Is there an earthquake or not? And then we just sort of park the data somewhere. So we thought, well, let's put it in the cloud and see if someone... Uh, benefits from it and we've had had a lot of researchers using this so there has been some benefits uh, and I think um, yeah I think that I think there's a real opportunity to to overlay different uh, things on top of this Uh, and one thing that you know in our particular field that we're aware of uh, is that there's a lot of opportunity to engage different types of people so I think uh, you know how people use this technology depends really on where they are. And so, you know, a municipality might be interested in a, in a warning system because it will give them some sort of historic uh, understanding of which areas in their municipality is more susceptible to shaking than others. You know, we can provide that. Uh, someone who has a, a manufacturing plant might know if they're vulnerable in a way that they didn't know before um, and make business decisions based on that. Uh, and then, of course, citizens might just sort of feel safer or, or, or know more about the shaking in the area. So there's an opportunity. And open source really is the, the way we can get into this. We, I think there was always this immense sense of mistrust uh, in the community of open of EEWs. I think e, when, when I entered it, you know, I, I wanted to speak to everybody. And I, and I, you know, you can find it on the Internet, the Mexican system, the, the, the ShakeAlert alert that's been built in the US that we have had some contact with. Um, uh, the the system in Japan. So I sent emails all over the world. And I think a lot of people were very sort of silent, as you said, uh, within what they were doing. And sharing isn't necessarily part of what people do here. And it felt like everyone was developing the same tools just on their own. So standardizing, I thought, was the right method. So whilst we haven't necessarily replicated every other system there, uh, we have taken the same principles, you know, shaking, Uh, detect it and then send alerts and we've tried to find a way to to sort of standardize this and package it up Uh, and hopefully people will come in now maybe someone listening to this podcast and they will uh, you know help us on that journey or maybe take us in a slightly different direction Uh, that's really the opportunity
0: well, Andy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. This has been a fascinating conversation. I, I'm a IoT guy, so I sort of geek out on the the hardware, but it's really opened my eyes to new aspects of how open source and these you know public, corporate, and individual collaborations can can play out. Um, in closing, though, let me ask you: Is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have, or any closing uh, thoughts you have for our listeners and viewers? I would
1: just really drive home this, this point about contributing. And if anyone was interested in what they listened to, to go to open uh and that there really is this incredible opportunity for many different people We cater for every skill set in, in this sort of development community. Uh, and we would welcome everybody.
0: Excellent. Well, I'm definitely heading there right after this call and we I'm going to get involved myself. So thank you so much, Andy. Uh, looking forward to uh, seeing the future of this project. Thank you.